MSW Media. They Might Be Giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And They Might Be Giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now They Might Be Giants are playing their breakthrough album, Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. This is episode 98. It is Wednesday, November 30th. And I am your host, Allison Gill. With me, as always, is your other host, real-life lawyer and real-life friend, Andrew Torres. <laughs> Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm good. I had a great, relaxing uh, weekend. Uh, nice. Although I think I spent most of it devising an entirely new podcast so that I will have negative free time <laughs> in the future. You know, that w- whenever people ask me, what's Allison really like? What is, you know, and I'm like, um, the biggest thing is, is uh, she needs more work to do. So, you know, yeah, just, that's, just thank too you. available, uh, you know, lazy, um, <laughs> shiftless. No, I, it's uh, that, that is really, really exciting. And uh, I can't wait to get more uh, Allison in my ear holes. So. Yeah, thank you. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm hoping if it's a, you know, it's a podcast about the special counsel. I'm hoping it doesn't last two years like the last podcast yeah, I did. I'd about like for it this to be counsel. a real short, you know, get in, get out. <laughs> yeah, like a nice six month, I think would be good. Um, but, uh, you know, I have to say that, you know, the the community, uh, you know, of listeners that we have across all of our of our programs is just so amazingly supportive. And you know, speaking of that community, we have some new patrons who have Woo-hoo. come on board. I'd like to say thanks to Elizabeth McCown, Craig D., Catherine Aliota. In Oakland, we pronounce it Vice President Harris. <laughs> um, seeking arraignment, me too. Uh, Gregory Lafrenson, which reminds me of Mrs. Maffrenson Finn from A Fish Called Wanda. Chris Spackman, Richard Vogler, Susanna Clark, Tracy Rains, George Hangs, Emma Joy Jampol, Jacob Johnston, Jennifer Volardi, Meh, M-E-H, uh, Tracy Schmidt, and Simon Tanner. 
Yeah, and a big thank you to Replevin the Slab or Suffer My Curse. <laughs> Your competition will compliment my genitals for $1. That is true. Shirley McNamara, Mary Davis, Ali C., Jose E. Rivera, Jamie Matthews, Claudia, Grace Blanchard, Ella McKinney, Laura Silberstein, Drew Turner, Everett Fortner, Mark Emery, Stacy Cross, Julie Dolly, and Deborah Clark. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. You can get a shout out head on over to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod that is a i s l e four five p o d give us as little as a dollar and we will compliment your genitals if that's what you want us to do so <laughs> yeah and at the two dollar level you get access <laughs> to the free second episode you get twice as many episodes for an yeah. extra buck so um love to see you there uh, we'll be recording this thursday and uh, maybe by then the friggin' 11th Circuit will put out a friggin' decision. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting here like on Tuesday and I'm like, this is going to come out tomorrow. This is going to come out before Thanksgiving. You Thanksgiving know, comes and goes. Jack Smith even does some work on Thanksgiving and the 11th Circuit is sitting there quiet. And then Friday comes and goes. Then the weekend comes and goes. And, you know, people are like, you know, they're closed this weekend. I'm like, yeah, thank you. I understand how that works, but they can still put out decisions. Uh, and now it's halfway through Monday and we still don't have it. I'm like, what is taking so long? They don't have, there's, this is the exact same case they already decided. The, and my favorite part of that hearing, Andrew, because the hearing happened after we recorded our last program, <laughs> our last public show, free public show. Um, my favorite part was not, you know, when they, when the, the judges, the very conservative Trump appointed judges were arguing with the Department of Justice. Uh, a, a solicitor general's office represent, uh, representative, jo uh, Joshi, I believe his name was. Yes. Uh, when they were up and they were arguing and asking questions uh, of him, they weren't asking about whether or not they should overturn Judge Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo's order. They were asking how they should <laughs> go about it. They, they were like, well, you guys say reverse and remand with instructions, but why wouldn't we just vacate it you know, and, and they went back and forth talking about a little bit about 11th Circuit jurisdiction. Uh, and maybe you can uh, clarify that uh, for us, Andrew. What is the difference between a reverse and remand order and a vacate order? And what does it have to do with potential jurisdictional questions in the 11th Circuit Court with regards to appointing a special master versus ruling on a district court's uh, anomalous jurisdiction, as Jack Smith called it? Yes. So, uh, so much to unpack there. And let's try and do that kind of working backwards. The first is that the jurisdictional question has been deliberately confused by Jim Trustee, Chris Kyes, and the president, you know, the former president's council of insane lawyers. Right? And you're talking about the 11th Circuit's the, jurisdiction, the, not Judge Cannon's jurisdiction. <laughs> That's right. They have made uh, much hay in an argument that uh, the court devoted zero time during oral arguments to. So uh, that gives you a pretty good hint as to how the <laughs> how the Eleventh Circuit views this argument. But but the argument they made uh, apparently with a straight face was, well, you see. The the U.S. government only appealed the order saying that Judge Cannon was going to appoint a special master and not the actual order appointing the special master. So you have 
Ninth, Eleventh Circuit have no jurisdiction to do any of the stuff that you've actually done, including, uh, you know, modify the stay, uh, in, in you know, to uh, exclude the documents that were that bore class, confidential classification markings. And to dismiss out the entire the matter in its entirety, because all you have before you is the appeal of an order that says I'm going to appoint a special master. Now, if you've been listening to this show or opening arguments or any of our shows, right, you you know that 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 probably that's not how the law is going to work, right? <laughs> that the you didn't say the magic words and tap your heels together three times, uh, you know, while standing on your head and chanting Bloody Mary like that. No, that's not how appeals work. All right, because previously they were arguing. Sorry to interrupt, but previously yeah. they were they were, they had a problem with the that second bit where she denied a stay on the classif- classification document, the classified mm-hmm. documents, and said special master is being appointed. That second bit, right? The September uh, came after September fifth, right? After right. September third, uh, and then they were like. You don't have jurisdiction over that because that wasn't an order appointing a special master. That was actually uh, a decision on the stay request. She just happened to appoint. So they're trying to make it like Schrodinger's special master appointment. That's where a, it that is ex- exactly right. Where and, it doesn't exist anywhere in time, space, or paper. So it yeah. can't, it can't, there can't be jurisdiction. Yeah. But what does the 11th Circuit has some jurisdictional limitations, don't they, with regard to special master appointments or not? There are two things that are at play here, right? The the first is the concept of supplemental jurisdiction, and that is when you have the authority to hear a thing, you have the authority to hear things that are intrinsically related to that thing. So if you've properly noticed an appeal of the order saying, I'm going to appoint a special master and it's going to be one of these two guys, you then have of supplemental jurisdiction over the second order appointing one of those two guys, even if that was not named on the notice in advance. And every court ever has always worked that way. But there's a second and larger issue, and that is, remember, as we've talked about, that federal courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. You go to your state court for general jurisdiction stuff. If there's a thing you don't like that's happening, you can go to your state court in your home state and you can say, I don't like this thing that's happening. And the state court has general equitable jurisdiction to at least hear what you're saying, right? They, you, you might lose, but you can say like... I demand you do something about all the bees, right? right, and, right. and who the hell knows? Like, it doesn't even have to make sense. And the court won't say, um, this isn't bee court. Like, we lack jurisdiction over your... The, the court will say, you have not pled an appropriate cause of action. You haven't served the bees. Like, you know, who knows, right? But they won't kick out the case for lack of jurisdiction because state courts have general jurisdiction over matters that arise uh, with within their borders with respect to their citizens. But federal courts can only hear cases that are for which they have been specifically created. And in particular, federal district courts can hear a case that arises under the uh, federal laws or the Constitution of the United States, uh, which this doesn't. Uh, They can hear uh, cases based on uh, diversity of citizenship, which this isn't, right? Um, or 
they can, you know, and they can hear certain other uh, delegated categories of cases. Um, and what that means is that you have to, you have an affirmative burden to prove when you are the party that files or removes a case to federal court. The burden is on you. Uh, as that party, as either the plaintiff or the or the the, the movant that, who removed the case, to to show uh, that the court has jurisdiction, and and this is the part I've been building to, the court can always raise lack of jurisdiction sua sponte on its own to say, oh hey wait, like we don't think we're empowered to be here, and we want the parties to brief this up, even if neither of the parties have ever raised it. So all of that is a long-winded way of saying Trump's efforts to get the Eleventh Circuit to disregard the "you don't have jurisdiction" arguments uh, were destined to fail from the beginning. And there's a reason that they spent zero time on that question uh, at oral arguments last Tuesday. Now, the question they did ask was, and, and and this is a sign you know it's going well for you as the lawyer, right? So they asked Sopan Joshi, um, so assuming we rule in your favor, uh, how exactly procedurally is that is this is that going to take place? Because you've said we should reverse and remand with instructions to dismiss, but it doesn't make sense to reverse an order appointing a special master. And I think the 11th Circuit is right here, right? Um, the reason that this is weird procedurally is because, you know, as we've been telling you all along, this whole case is weird procedural. Um, so so here's what's what's going on. You would reverse if if they if there had been a normal complaint filed, right? Then that's where we would be. We would be in a situation where the instruction would be to reverse, right, to, to strike down this order, send it back to the trial court judge with instructions to dismiss out the complaint. But here, there's no complaint. This thing began with a request that the court appoint a special master. It began with a motion. Um, and so the, the proper procedural step, and again, the only reason you care about this is because you care about 13th century Saxony words, right? It, 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 it's it, functionally what happens is identical, but the procedural step is to vacate, to make that order go away and to say, hey, this order lacks legal enforcement because it's not justiciable as a uh, a case that is properly in front of the federal courts uh, of the United States because we lack anomalous jurisdiction here. Um, so why did why did Joshi say no I think you need to reverse and remand instructions to dismiss it. Because this is another area, and this is really, it's smart on Josie's part. And Josie ultimately said, you know, hey. Well, yeah, he, he was like, hey, if yeah, you want to vacate it, yeah, well, cool, you bro. Do, you do what you want. Here's what I think was going through Josie's mind. Uh, and that is, um, remember our pal John Eastman? <laughs> and oh, the, yes, who could yeah, forget and the series of rakes that uh, his lawyers voluntarily stepped on uh, in producing documents to the January 6th committee, and they left their um, the link up. Link um... up, and so Politico was able to download uh, the eight documents that they produced anyway. In that case, um, Eastman's lawyers 
uh, before the Ninth Circuit. They lost on this, too, by the way. (laughs) Eastman's lawyers moved for a specific kind of vacator. And by the way, uh, vacator, the Latin word to vacate, means exactly what it sounds like, right? To, to, To declare null and void and make it go away. And what they were seeking in that case was Munsingware vacator, which we've talked about on this show and on OA. And that is where the entire underlying merits goes away uh, because there has been a unilateral change that's imposed upon you. So in the original Munsingware case, what happened was Munsingware made underwear and they were convicted of price fixing during World War II. Uh, maybe not the greatest thing in the world to uh, <laughs> to be convicted of. Um, and they appealed uh, and said, no, 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 you've got this was totally wrong. There were reasons why we were selling our, you know, nylon and rayon for, you know, what we were supposed to. And, and, and we actually did comply with the wartime regulations while that appeal was pending. World War Two ended and the U.S. government repealed those restrictions. Right. And so that case became moot on appeal, right? There was no there was no longer any price gouging statute for them to have violated, so there was no penalty to be paid, so everything was going to be fine, except that Munsingware said, but look, the problem is is that we still have this adverse ruling at the trial court level that says we're price gougers in favor of the Nazis, and we'd kind of like to make that go away. And we can't now that you've changed the law. And the Supreme Court said, you know what? That does seem kind of unfair. So if you're ever in a situation where the rules get changed on you midstream, um, we we will agree with that and go ahead and just vacate fucking everything, right? Uh, all the way back down to the trial court level as if it had never happened because this wasn't your fault, right? Now, okay. you're... You're immediately it's like expunging seeing, your record. Yeah, that's that's a great way to think about it. And, and that's now, what Eastman's lawyers wanted. Yeah, that's to what do. Eastman's lawyers wanted. Which now you're thinking like, no, the key phrase I heard Andrew say about eight times in the span of that thirty second explanation was not your fault. And um, leaving your shit up at uh, Dropbox.com is the definition of stuff that's your fault. So you know they had no chance of of winning on on Munsingware vacator. So I think okay, I can't prove it. But I think that Joshi sort of thinking about these collection of liars, grifters and idiots uh, got nervous about the word vacatur in the first place and was like, well, we've had an awful lot of good law come out of you know, the 11th Circuit on this, right? Like you were... Oh, like the classified documents ruling. Yeah. And you're, we you're, don't want to wipe it off from the record. That's exactly what I think he was thinking of. Um, and, and and at the end of the day, right, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's not the kind of vacatur they were thinking of. They, they were just thinking of procedurally. Just extra cautious, right? Yeah. Yeah, How do I tell this court to go away? Because <laughs> Pryor was like, all right, so I'm going to tell her to go fuck herself, but do we do it? <laughs> do we do, we do, do it, it this way? Yeah. yeah. Do we say, go fuck yourself or go fuck yourself? I mean, right. we just need to kind of... Ouye. Right, yeah. exactly. Do we do it in Pig Latin? French? We could do it in French? Oh. Uh, ho, ho, oh, go fuck yourself, but English. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that that whole... I mean, it was a, that was one of the most uncomfortable oral arguments I've, I've, ever, I've ever sat through. Just, it, it was like, ooh... Ow, ooh, that's got a st- ow. Oh, it, it was, damn. It was as, and again, I, I said this on, on opening arguments, I'll, I'll repeat it here. I have 
uh, I've done a lot of oral arguments in, in my career. I've lost before the Fourth Circuit. I have lost before what is now the Maryland Supreme Court. I get to call it that thanks to the, uh, oh, yeah, the, uh, the ballot initiative which passed. Yeah. Um, so I've had an appellate court um, take, you know, take one of my cases with skepticism and, uh, and, and I've had a hostile uh, argument before a panel. Um, I've never seen a, a panel like this, right? If I, if, if I had, if I had, had faced a 10th of this, uh, outright scorn and derision, I mean, I think I would have just, you know, sat down, like, I would have just been like, okay, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here because. I mean, it took, it took 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, um the judges were like, I, hi, okay, okay. All right. So you go ahead and go. You got three minutes. We've already read all the briefings. We know everything already. Go. And just Joe, she gets up and says his piece for a few minutes, and then they have the discussion. Well, how should we tell him to fuck off? Should we, you know? <laughs> and then they do that for about three minutes, and then they go, "All right, Jim, your turn." And he gets up and just starts rambling. And immediately they start asking him, "Hey, uh, so are you saying that the search and seizure was unlawful?" Uh, and then he then he starts arguing that the first Ritchie factor is not is not dispositive, which is was the entire Eleventh Circuit's argument in the previous classified documents case, like. You have to meet the first Ritchie factor and prove callous disregard for constitutional rights. And if you don't, and if you want to file a thing that you, th- you think that the search was unlawful, is that what you're changing? Is that the goalpost you've moved to today? <laughs> and, and of course, you know, Jim Trustee is like, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no, 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 let me ask you again. And they ask him like three times. And then he's like, finally, like, no, not really. And Judge Pryor says, well, if that's not, if you're not saying that this search was unlawful, what are we even, he threw his hands up, by the way. <laughs> he literally put his hands up. And said, what are we even doing here? What are we even here? Why are we even here? Is I, <laughs> yeah. I think what he said. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it, it just layering onto that, like it, it, the, 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 the exchange about, well, you haven't even asserted that there's a violation of your constitutional rights. And then Jim Trustee said, well, I think we're doing that now. And, 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 and Pryor was like, okay, fine. Here's what I mean. We're here on the record, and the record doesn't show that yeah. you've asserted any violation of your constitutional rights. And he was like, well, we needed the procedure in order to demonstrate that. And, and that's when we got the the fantastic question of, so are you saying that we should treat this case differently because the subject is the former president of the United States? And again, trustee gave a non-answer answer to which Breyer was like, okay, well, that answer is no. <laughs> yeah. He said no. And then he just turned around and said, yes, he's yeah. special. These are extraordinary uh, circumstances. Unprecedented. The raid. He said the raid. And uh, the judge. Oh, uh, that was beautiful. The judge was like, I don't think that that is the proper term you should be using. Right? Oh, yeah. Sorry about using that loaded language there, Your Honor. And then 20 minutes later, he says it again. The raid. Not yep. 20 minutes, 10 minutes. The whole thing didn't take 20 minutes. Yep. And it, and then he immediately said, oh, I, my bad. I said the raid again. <laughs> you know, yeah. like just a total Trump, dickhead. Trump appointee calling him out on on calling a law. Right. Very dryly. That was Judge Brasher saying, uh, I, I kind of think we should not refer to a lawfully executed search warrant as a raid. Um, but but so, Unless so then, that's your new argument. Is that, you know, because <laughs> we don't have that ever anywhere. And if that's not your argument, we. So so now let's pivot to to Jack Smith because one of the questions that was well, asked he put in his he put well, in his I, I was just going to read right? that yeah. yeah so so Smith notes his appearance in the case he didn't participate in the oral argument uh, and good good on you right like they're they're uh, you know when the Eleventh Circuit is 
falling all over itself to figure out how to hand you a victory. You don't change your strategy. Nope. Um, but one <laughs> of the questions that they asked Jim Trusty was uh, whether whether any court has previously asserted equitable jurisdiction in joining the government from using uh, materials that were taken pursuant to a lawful search warrant in an investigation through the special master process. And uh, the answer to that's no. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Jim Trusty wasn't able to come up with one during the oral argument, uh, but decided that he had one uh, that he wanted to bring to the court's attention. So he filed a letter the next day and said, hey, um, uh, you know, you asked me a question. I couldn't fully answer it, uh, but I want the court to, quote, consider the following supplemental authority on a point raised during oral argument. And I will tell you, this is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Now, it's better. Oh, it's totally normal yep. to be like, oh, I forgot something in oral argument. Yep. Here it is. Yeah, off the top of my head. Right. And you asked me a question that was kind of a corner case that I wasn't prepared for. Better still to be prepared. But but that's fine. Um, so here's what, tr what trustee said. <laughs> he said, uh, again, in it, it is a sworn letter. This is a pleading, right? This is pursuant to uh, federal rule of appellate procedure 28 J. So even though it's, it's styled as a letter, like you can be sanctioned for this. Uh, he said, the question raised was whether a court has previously asserted equitable jurisdiction to enjoin the government, put a pin in that, from using seized materials in an investigation <laughs> pending review by a special master. The answer is yes. Oh, okay. Well, that, that that's good for your cause. The United States agreed to this approach and the existence of jurisdiction in, in the manner of search warrants executed on April 28th, 2021, involving property seized from Rudy Giuliani. Can we also and, put a pin in existence of jurisdiction? <laughs> under mutual agreement of the parties, no materials were utilized in the investigation until the special master process was completed. See, for example, Exhibit A, the process worked. And then, you know, as we know, uh, the DOJ declined to indict Rudy Giuliani. Um, that uh, that that was filed on on Wednesday evening uh, after the Tuesday oral argument. Uh, and uh, it, it led us to the question of, uh, does Jack Smith work on Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> he most certainly does. And, you know, I, I've been talking to folks about, you know, the obvious differences here between, um, you know, between uh, Mueller and, and, and Jack Smith. And, and something that we all agree on is that we want to hear more from Jack Smith. We want, we want more press conferences. Not that he can really say too much, but, you know, he can definitely at least look as though things are important. Uh, and so um, we never saw, Mueller never, I never saw a letter from Mueller until after the report came out and Bill Barr mischaracterized his findings and Mueller wrote him a little letter, a uh, little love three, letter. Three, yeah. in fact, mm -hmm. yeah. And two phone calls, yeah. yeah. He went to paper. I had a whole episode on it in the Mueller She Wrote podcast called Mueller Goes uh, I to remember. Paper. I <laughs> remember. And Andrew McCabe went on and said, people don't understand how important this is. There's a big fucking deal that he went to paper, that he put this down in writing. Within a week of being appointed, within days of, of filing appearance uh, in, in this case, he is writing letters and signing letters. And this one is in response to the letter that you just read from Jim Trusty, which is totally normal. Like, I forgot. Here, here, here's my thing. But he says in this letter to the court, uh, plaintiff asserts uh, in, you know, the Rudy Giuliani, 
uh, case is an example of a case which, co- which, quote, a court has previously asserted equitable jurisdiction to enjoin the government from using seized materials in an investigation pending review by a special master, unquote. He's quoting him directly. And then he references the letter. And then he just says, that is incorrect. <laughs> As plaintiff recognizes, he's like, you fucking know this, dude. As plaintiff recognizes, the court did not, quote, enjoin the government, unquote. That's what you put a pin in. Instead, the government itself volunteered that approach. So nobody said, stop what you're doing and have a special master. The, the government said, hey, we did this search warrant. We would like a special master appointed. Uh, moreover, he says, the records that were seized from an attorney's, these records uh, that there were seized from an attorney's office. So what he's saying there is, it's more likely that privilege exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, say that. Yeah. He doesn't say that. He just says, moreover, records there were seized from an attorney's office. That's all he says about it. He also says, the review was conducted on a rolling basis, which means Special Master Barbara Jones was going through the emails, and as they crossed her desk and she decided they were not privileged, she handed them to the government. Rolling basis. That's what he's saying is that's not the case here. That's they not have... an injunction. An yeah. injunction is when you don't get the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, yeah, keep going. Yeah, and this isn't happening on a rolling basis. The government doesn't have these documents right now. And he says the case did not involve a separate civil proceeding invoking a district court's anomalous jurisdiction. <laughs> it, is, it, it is. There's like nine insults in that one little sentence. It's, it's really, it's just a, a, a masterpiece of... Uh, word of, economy. Of word economy and drafting. That's exactly right. The many, uh, multiple partners at the firms for which I have worked have had that aphorism of if I'd have had more time, I'd have written a shorter letter uh, yeah. <laughs> on, on the wall. Um, and, and look like that is, <laughs> as you know, from me doing this show, like it's it's easy to go on at length <laughs> when you're talking about the law. <laughs> it's hard to do so in a paragraph that just uh, uh, completely tears it apart. And just what a what an unbelievably dumb thing to commit to write. Right. Like but again, as as you point out, like. It, it it's sort of at the discretion of whoever's taking charge of this for the DOJ. They could have they could have let that go, right? Uh-huh. And and there must have been some argument that you know Sopan Joshi must have at least entertained the idea of like, come on, we we I, I get it. The Giuliani thing is really stupid, but like we're about to win, let it go. And and it was. The, the no, we should we should not let them lie on the record and in public mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. won the day. And so, again, if you're trying to assess, you know, we're all reading tea leaves here, right? None of us know uh, how Jack Smith is going to handle his role as special counsel. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're judging on week one, um, you know, <laughs> he's uh, coming out swinging, wrote an man. A plus brief on Thanksgiving ought to make you feel pretty good. Um, and <laughs> and related to that, <laughs> if you are poor special master Raymond Deary, um, maybe you see that the handwriting is on the wall. <laughs> yeah. And I want to get to that, but I have to close this letter out. Oh, OK. It, yeah, please. It, do. It, the way it ends is, is chef's kiss. 
So uh, the case did not involve a separate civil proceeding invoking a district court's anomalous jurisdiction, meaning there wasn't a fucking crazy asshole judge who, yeah. who, who created some jurisdiction out of whole cloth to enjoin the government there, from doing its the, job. It, and, 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 and it cannot be emphasized strongly enough. That's the point here, right? <laughs> like, right. That that there was another forum available to 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 Donald Trump. That is, he could have gone to to uh, Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt. But anyway, mm-hmm. no. yeah. And I also like the kind of the anomalous jurisdiction dig because they didn't even go after that. They went after equitable jurisdiction, which is hilarious. And then he says, "None of those is true here. None of those is true here. Yours truly." Jack Smith, special counsel. <laughs> I just absolutely love it. I love it. I'm, I am with you. Uh, so what I had uh, what I had teased before then is uh, the order that is on the record now, again, in the underlying case, to the extent that there still is one. Also pending before Judge Cannon is a motion for disclosure (laughs) filed by Donald Trump uh, on the same day, uh, November 22nd. And if you're thinking, what is a motion for disclosure? That's not a thing. Uh, This is an effort to get uh, Judge Cannon to take a different bite at the apple of, hey, should the government have to disclose the unredacted search warrant? Uh, that was uh, and, and the and the full unredacted affidavit that supports it uh, in this case. And if you're thinking, gosh, didn't Allison and Andrew cover that back in August? Yes, we did. Right. <laughs> and so one of the things that, um, that that the courts are very sensitive to, uh, particularly appellate courts, when you're talking about jurisdiction, is circumventing the jurisdictional rules to try and and engage in forum shopping like this, right? To try and say, oh, we lost here. Why don't we ask a different judge who's maybe more favorable the same thing, right? Because that's that's not supposed to happen, right? You are not supposed to take a settled question. It's called race judicata uh, and take that same question with the same parties to a different court and maybe get a different answer. Um, and that makes total sense, right? We have a rule of law system. You want a rule with finality. Uh, so uh, I think to whatever extent uh, Judge Cannon has uh, some maybe street smarts about survival, <laughs> she has so far not ruled on that motion for uh, for disclosure. The government has not responded to it. If they're going to treat it like an ordinary motion, uh, they still have another week. Um, and uh, and I think the case will be gone by then. And uh, I think this latest ruling from uh, – th- so this is an order uh, entered by – uh, Magistrate Judge Deary uh, today, I think, uh, gives us some indication of what's going on. Yeah. And and here's that order, right? It's it's, it's a minute order, I think, right? Is that what these things are yep. called? Yep. Order upon further review of the record, the special master has determined that there are no matters requiring counsel to travel to Brooklyn for an in-person conference. <laughs> like, I don't want to put my pants on, guys. We, I don't think I'm going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> The conference previously scheduled for December 1st, which was which is tomorrow, right, Thursday, uh, de- December 1st, is therefore canceled. Instead, the special master directs the parties to respond jointly to the following questions by 5 p.m. on December 1st. <laughs> like, this is a meeting that should have been an email. That's what we're doing. Uh, one, do the parties dispute the categorization of the following records under the PRA, Presidential Records Act? In each case, the party spreadsheet... Uh, summarizing their respective categorizations and disputes reflects the parties have a PRA dispute, despite both sides categorizing the documents as personal records. <laughs> so 
It's like, even though you both say these are personal records, there's some, there's some sort of PRA dispute, please explain. Uh, and then they list, uh, you know, multiple documents that there's, I think, one, two, three, six, eight documents that are uh, being contested there. And then two, do the parties dispute PRA categorization of 701 document, Bates document 701? The party spreadsheet reflects differing categorizations, but also lists the document as not being in dispute. Number three. And that's just the other side of that, right? That is, you say there's a dispute about this one, but you both agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then number three, does plaintiff assert executive privilege with respect to Bates 54 of 55? Uh, and then a, a parenthetical documents 15 and 16 of the filter materials. Um, letters from plaintiff's counsel noting there is no further matter to resolve as to each. And one and four. Subsequent letter from government reporting that each document dispute is disputed based on plaintiff's assertion of executive privilege. And then it's signed, uh, Raymond Deary. There's no order here to say that you, uh, um, what, I, what I noticed was missing was that the government's been trying to get them to sign off on their inventory sheet. Mm-hmm. This whole thing started. That's not in here. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, I think everybody knows that that ship has sailed, uh, sadly, although uh, although props to uh, to Judge Deary for uh, uh, trying to get them to do what they should have to do under the law. Right. What they would have had to have done had they filed a uh, verified complaint and uh, proper uh, affidavit in support of uh, of seeking an injunction. Um, no, this is, uh, to me, I read this, you note, uh, that it's a minute order. That means it shows up on the docket, but you don't generate a separate sheet of paper. That's all that means. Um, and, uh, this is very clearly like housekeeping for the holidays, right? Like I'm not going to be here much longer, uh, but I'm still doing my job and I want to make sure, you know, there've been kind of differing factual assertions that have been traded back and forth uh, where, you know, it seems like uh, the parties have have said, uh, you know, we agree all except for X, but um, but your lists are different. So here are all those discrepancies. Tell me what your position is on each of them so that I know how to uh, whether I need to make a ruling or not. Right. Because if the parties agree, you don't have to rule. Yeah, and some folks are 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 speculating, you know, reading a little bit of tea leaves here that the the reason for this canceling of the of hearing uh, is because he feels like he's going to beat the Eleventh Circuit out, like like that oh, that, no. that he reviewing no, these documents that's... by the sixteenth is going to somehow make this the Eleventh Circuit hearing moot. First of all, nothing makes the Eleventh Circuit hearing moot. That there needs to be a decision on that for reals, because that jurisdiction is bullshit. But uh but second of all, Joshi argued uh during that hearing that we we were talking about on Tuesday, like, look, you know, because the court asked, like, well couldn't this all just be solved by Deary finishing his work? And he's like, look, Your Honor, that's due mid-December. And then it the judge could insert herself or overturn it or rule on it. She's given herself that freedom. Then it could be appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court. Yep. And we would find ourselves back here again. Uh, and it could take months. That was a great answer, by the way. Yeah, I loved that when he when he brought it home by saying, we will find ourselves right back here again. So it was kind of like one of those old nip it in the bud situations. And, uh, and, and he, you know, and he's right uh, because there's no way that that G- Deary finishes before the 11th Circuit rules. 
Yeah. Now that that anybody reading this that way is um, uh, politely, I will say they are incorrect. Um, it, it is not uncommon for district court judges and special masters uh, being delegated a function of that uh, to look at a pending oral argument and say, oh, as it turns out, I don't think oral argument here is going to be particularly helpful, right? Because think about what oral argument does. Oral argument is useful if, suppose you did a very straightforward case and you had only one legal question in dispute, right? Um, can you seek, I've actually done an oral argument on this, so that's why I think it's a good example. Can you seek uh, an opposing parties, a plaintiff's tax returns in discovery, right? Um, when there's kind of broader claims about, you know, financial data involved, but not nothing specific to the taxes, right? Like there's a, there's a business arrangement. You ask for their taxes. They refuse to give it to you. You've got to go forward. And then the court has to decide whether that's a valid request or not. And then, um, when you brief that up, you would say there's a split in the authorities. It's probably 70-30 in favor of you can ask for taxes in discovery, and they are required to produce their tax returns where relevant. Uh, but you have to deal with the fact that there's a 30 percent uh, minority that says, nope, you never have to turn those over. Those are personal documents, you know, unless the documents themselves are at issue. And so oral argument is really, really useful for resolving those kinds of cases where you're like, you know what? You've written out your arguments as to why I should either take the minority or the majority view. But I want to hear that. And I want to put my questions to you. And I want to get the nuanced answers that makes me comfortable with how I decide to rule. That's a great time to have an oral argument. A terrible time to have an oral <laughs> argument is, do you think Bates number 4017 is a presidential record or a personal record? Well, just tell me, right? Just write it down. <laughs> Not only that, but if I were Judge Deary, I would give these guys as few microphones as possible. Uh, that's an excellent point. And, and uh, thank you for making it. Because he's just going to stand up and be like, unprecedented, raided, DOJ can't be trusted. But like, look, tell me about fucking base 401 and shut your pie hole, right? Yeah. Like, he's just going to use it as a, as, a, as, a, as a pulpit for bullshit, um, as he has shown and proven that he abuses the court to do. Uh, so that's, that would be on my mind. Like, we don't need to hear you. We don't need to hear your voice. <laughs> just write us an email, you know? Because then the... Then the, uh, you know, the, yeah. the sound bites get out and people hear them and he's, you know, I, I would be limiting that shit if I, if I, if I had the authority to do so as, as Judge Deary does. Really, really excellent point, uh, that, that you've made there. And again, I think this is all for nothing. I think that the 11th circuit will, uh, deny jurisdiction, uh, and, uh, you know, will, uh, vacate the order and remand with instructions to dismiss out the case by the time you hear this, but it's possible they're still taking their time to make sure they get the procedure right. So who knows? Uh, or yeah. they're just in a turkey coma. I don't know. You know. I, I, I was. Yeah. I was for, for a minute there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I honestly think I'm with you. 11 Circuit's going to come back. I think they're going to vacate, not, not underwear vacate, but, you know, vacate <laughs> her order. Uh, and and moot the special master and order all documents themselves. You know, they're not going to ask Eileen Cannon to do any of this because she's, you know, nuts. So 
they'll I think they'll order all the documents to be to be handed over to the back to the department immediately. Judge Deary can be like, glad I didn't put on my pants for December 1st. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, it will all be moot. Uh, you know, like you're saying, that's another kind of reason. Like, why are we going to fly everybody to Brooklyn and have a meeting and I got to put on pants when I'm, you know, when this is all going to go away, probably. <laughs> I mean, the writing's on the wall, right? Yep. And and uh, I just to, to, to kind of bring the Jack Smith portion of this uh, program to a close and and boy, do we have a fun segment next. Uh, I, I thought I would read to you the truth social meltdown that uh, Donald Trump had uh, with respect to once this letter was filed with the 11th Circuit, where, where Trump is obviously paying attention. He writes, Jack Smith Nice soft name, isn't it? Is a political hitman who was totally compromised and shouldn't be allowed anywhere near our already highly weaponized and corrupt, quote, Justice Department and FBI, which are stuffed with and listening to radical left, quote, monsters, end quote, who will cause difficulties for our country, the likes of which we have not seen before. By the way, Obama spied on my campaign and got caught. And what about the massive Joe and Hunter Biden corruption evidence already in exclamation point question mark? Um, yeah. So uh, again, if you're judging Jack's Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes and they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. 
Subscribe now. Smith by his first week on the job. We know where that came out. If you're judging Jack Smith by uh, how much he is uh, able to provoke Donald Trump into sheer insanity on, you know, truth.fart.clownpenis, whatever, uh, that, uh, you know, you've got that too. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Before we get to our second amazing segment of, of just nonstop laughter, uh, it's probably a good time for a bathroom break now. And make sure you're not drinking any liquids while you listen to the second part of this show. But let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors. Trump may be gone. But the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. All right, welcome back. What is this, <laughs> the second part of our show? Oh, I, I do, I, you fit this into whatever larger narrative you want, but we now have confirmation from the pillow himself uh, that uh, Mike Lindell, the guy who believes that votes were like literally hijacked in the airwaves sent to Italy for reprogramming and then, you know, uh, reinserted into Dominion voting machines by the ghost of Hugo Chavez. Mike Lindell is running for Republican National Committee chair against Rana Romney McDaniel. Uh, and I for one, am here for it. <laughs> well, first of all, I can't believe that a hundred Republicans in, uh, wrote a letter in support of Ronna Romney McDaniel, given her <laughs> track record. I mean, she did not do a great job. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, you know, some might argue, well, we've had shit candidates and that, you know, that but they can't say that out loud. They just have to be like, she's great. You know, so it's really funny to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I like how we let candidate quality become the euphemism for people who agree with Trump and are therefore deranged, right? Like, uh, you know, but um, but yeah, no. So after uh, seizing a, a ridiculous defeat from the jaws of victory uh, during this past uh, midterm election, uh, in which, again, Republicans have performed historically worse than any party has ever done in a century uh, in midterm elections. Um, you might say maybe Ronna Romney McDaniel was not qualified uh, to, to do her job. Um, I don't know that ex-crackhead pillow salesman conspiracy theorist is the right person for the job, but I am happy to uh, to personally uh, endorse uh, Mike Lindell to run the RNC. I hope he does it with the same level of oversight that he has uh, in managing his uh, vast pillow empire. Um, <laughs> it it it. It's it's such fantastic nonsense. Um, it, it I do need to tell you that, you know, the the Republican Party um, 
does not have a you you may have uh, absorbed some of the uh, language about delegates and super delegates from the uh, 2016 primary, right, in which Barack Obama outsider managed to oust Hillary Clinton insider despite uh, her having a, a, an immense lead in pledged super delegates. Um, that that that's the way the Democratic Party works. Um, the uh, RNC just has a membership, okay? Um, and that membership is 168 people. And so, as you pointed out, 101 <laughs> have already <laughs> endorsed Ronna Romney McDaniel. Uh, but, you know, those are probably fake numbers that were altered by Hugo Chavez. So uh, I want Mike Lindell to fight the good fight. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, but you know, and what's what's to me what's stunning is if this has to go to a second ballot, that's the first time that will have happened in a hundred years. If you just want any kind of indication of what a fucking shit show the Republican Party is, this is the first time it will be. It didn't even happen fifty eight years ago, right? Like when the Republicans imploded, it's hap. It could happen now, and uh, of course, I'm sure the mainstream media will say how this is bad for the Democrats, uh, but. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, the Republicans are in disarray. They really, really are. And it's truly a sight to behold. Um, and boy, I'm really interested to see what happens with that speaker fight and with with the RNC uh, election. It's just going to it's just going to be so. I, is it is it wrong that that I'm looking forward to this absolute just bloodbath? Oh no! Like I mean, if you if you can't take joy in you know watching, what is that like the I I never thought the leopards would eat my face after voting for the you know face eating leopards party, right? Like I, it, <laughs> I it, yeah, like shocker that uh, you know you've been riding the wave of enthusiasm and grifting hardcore off of people who think that, uh, you know, you are going to overturn election results. Uh, and then, you know, that empowers people like Mike Lindell, who are too stupid to understand that that's just a ploy for the rubes because he's one of the rubes. And so he, he he said, you know, as one of his reasons for running for RNC chair is, you know, the Republican Party, you know, collects money and talks about how they're going to, you know, engage in election reform. But then they don't back loser candidates like uh, Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham, who, you know, loser lost and uh, have no evidence, but have howled that there's been, you know, conspiracy and fraud and, and have and have gotten nowhere. And that, you know, again, uh, I, I love it. I, I think the more time, you know, we get to put in public, uh, the, you know, the, these, you know, sort of buffoon, uh, illustrations of what the Republican party actually stands for right now, you know, the better it is. Cause you know, the, the problem is, is that, you know, you've, you've, they've, they've managed to, uh, you know, cultivate coverage where they can uh, speak to their base openly. Um, you know, I, I, I perfect. We, we're not going to go down this rabbit trail, but like for Politico to say, 
Trump world is in backlash and aghast at uh, having a, you know, white supremacist Holocaust denier in the way, you know, meet with Donald Trump. You're like, where the hell have you been for the last six years? <laughs> yeah, like, that's exactly. Are, are, are exactly. You, are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly so, who he is. Yeah. And there should be no surprise there. So yeah, I I am looking forward to to seeing <laughs> to seeing that you know that what happens there. But um, I you know I have to say thank you very much again because uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the show here uh, on the on the Mike Lindell tip. Um, but thank you everyone. Thanks especially to our patrons. You make this show possible. Again, uh, patreon.com slash aisle forty five pod a i s l e four five p o d if you want to become a patron. We'll be back Friday with our special super secret. A bonus episode for patrons, uh, and then we should set up a Zoom call pretty soon to have another Q and A happy hour. Andrew, absolutely. We'll tell you about that next week. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. This has been Clean Up on Aisle Forty Five. Clean Up on Aisle Forty Five is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres, with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond, plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat 
with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.